celebrating Jesus' birth. It helps us reset our hearts and lives to receive our King and Savior. At Horizons this year, we are specifically focusing on how worthy Jesus' birth is of our attention, worship, and following. On this Sunday, our focusing our focus is on joy, and we light the joy candle. Joy is a really worthy thing Jesus brought to us because it's like being happy but it's even better. Joy can look like happiness, but it can also be a sense of calm, peace, and assurance, or being really thankful. The prophet of Isaiah told the people hundreds of years ago Jesus came, the people who walk in darkness will see the great light for those who live in a land of deep darkness. A light will shine. The way that Jesus came is worthy of our joy because how he brought with joy him when all that stuff in the dark gets his light shine on it. Our whole lives fill up with light that called joy and it's a good thing for everybody. pray. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for bringing him to us exactly how and when you died. We know the way you did it, it brought the greatest light and joy we can imagine. Please let Jesus's light shine into each of us so that we can feel your joy and share it with others. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
All right. Well, I'm Pastor Jason, and I do want to welcome all of you if you are new to this community online or in person and just checking us out. Um, a great big beer hu- bear hug. <laughs> I don't know what that uh, the first one would even look like, but uh, from the Horizons community. So, uh, you know, this morning I want you to know that we take this joy thing really seriously, uh, which ultimately, like, um, when, when Brian was saying, hey, we're going to have fun today, I was just like, yes. You know, because, I mean, there's a lot of content, but sometimes we get so wrapped up in, in getting it right that we forget the joy. So, um, well, welcome to worship, and um, whether you're a dignified hillbilly or whether you are uh, just kind of entering into this and you're a little bit unsure about things, or maybe you're, you've been in it so long you're a little bit worn out, it is a good day to worship our God. So um, you probably got some more information about life groups this morning, and there might have been on your seat or someone handed you one of these cards. And um, so I'm having this conversation with my son on Thursday around the breakfast table, and he says, Daddy, is it preschool day? And I'm, by the way, I'm not making up any of this, and I don't think my kid's really that great. Um, it's just a good conversation, <laughs> okay? Uh, I mean, he's great. I love him, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> and, he, and I said, you know, like, no, so tomorrow is, is preschool, but today, and he says, well, then is it church day? And I said, nope, nope, uh, it's Thursday. And he says, well, is it life group day? And I said, I'm, so, I'm sorry, man. I said, you, you remember you got preschool Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then you've got church in the morning on Sunday, and then life group Sunday evening. And, and you know, like I'm listening to my son, and there is like a fourth one, and that's sometimes waffle day on Friday because we have waffles every Friday. Um, but like he marks, he's learning the weeks and the days of the week, and he marks his week on three events, preschool, church, and life group. How cool is that? You know, and then so, so I was like, well, yeah, Sunday is worship and then life group. And he said, why do we have church and life group? And I was like, well, buddy, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, I, I pretty much said, well, Sunday morning, I get to do all the talking, and then in life group, everyone else gets to talk. Um, but that's what I, I mean. But ultimately, I said, well, you know, so um, we get to actually, like, build friendships, and we get to talk about who Jesus is and learn about that in our life group in a way that, that we first learned about Jesus in the morning, and then we get to do that. And just kind of watching the role the the wheels kind of turn in my son's life, like, and, and being able to express that to him and then express that for myself. And, you know, why is this so important to us? But, um, you know, my kids talk about our life group friends a lot. And when we go to life group, I see some really cool things happening. I'm growing in my personal faith. I'm watching us support each other. And I want that for each one of you. And so I would like to invite you to let, um, in the beginning of next year, and there's a card, you can fill that out now, so that way it, it gets in the shuffle, right, of busyness, that you have a chance to get that in motion so that life group can actually be one of those markers of your week that is a highlight for you and your growth. Like Paul says in Philippians uh, 2.13, he says, you know, like, continue to work out your salvation. And, and he means, you know, your faith relationship with Jesus and this whole understanding of why he died for us and what it means. Continue to work that out with fear and trembling. And I think Life Groups is really a great place for that. 
In addition to that, y'all know it's Christmas, and um, and for Christmas Eve on the 24th, we really, um, in addition to just loving the season, have a, a tremendous mission and vision behind Christmas Eve and this whole season. And it's really about inviting people who've been away for a long time or perhaps the, the vast majority of their lives, inviting them close to the gospel story that begins with a nativity, with the birth of Jesus and his coming amongst us. And so if you have a vision for that, and I pray that you do and that you're catching it, invite someone. If you have a vision for that, we are still inviting some folks to uh, on the second service, the five o'clock service, to to be that that presence, that light of Christ, to welcome someone into this building, to hold a door, to extend something, to welcome, to help someone find a seat. Um, so let us know. There's that there's that number again, four zero two five one two. Five seven zero zero. We would just love to to have you on that team and to be part of that outward vision on Christmas Eve. So, we are in our fifth week of this series that we're calling Worthy. We are in the third week of this season of Advent of waiting and preparation, and um, and it's really this whole concept of worthy is about taking a moment to pause. And just to spend a moment to actually acknowledge, remember, realize, confess even the worthiness of Jesus in our world, in our lives, and the worthiness of his coming amongst us when, how, and why he did. And just pausing to let that be what it is. And then to like even maybe even that worthiness to join it or step up into it, or, or let it rekindle our hearts in terms of how we see that Jesus truly is worthy of our time and our priority and our, our worship, our devotion, and following and, and, and letting our lives, making our lives be more like Jesus. So today in Worthy, we're back in Matthew, and these are the final uh, selections of Matthew that we are going through to cover the entire gospel of Matthew in one year. We're going to be diving into Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, through Matthew 22, verse 14. Now, all of this can be found if you go to the YouVersion app on your phone. You're going to be able to click on the three dots or the more and then go to events and you'll find horizons. And you'll see the word right there. You can take it with you. You can really let it soak in. So um, essentially what's going on here in Matthew's, in the selection that we have here, is first we have the parable. We've got three core parables. First, the parable of the banquet and the invitation. Then the parable of the two sons and their willingness and unwillingness. And then the parable of the tenants and their desire to keep all the fruits. And we're going to go through this, and we're going to see the worthiness of Jesus really pronounced this Sunday in the sense of his shifting a major paradigm. Big, big shift, turning things upside down. So let's, we'll just run right into this. This is uh, the banquet invitation, and we're going to get this whole thing so that way it's set up for you, and then you can see how the rest of it flows together. So Jesus begins in Chapter 22, verse 1 through 14, and we're going we're gonna to actually study these kind of in a reverse order, and, um, and we're going to use them to really help us see 
the, the ultimate truth that Jesus is getting at. So Jesus spoke to them again. This is the Pharisees, the elders, and the priests. They're gathered, and they're really just trying to test Jesus and find a reason to negate his ministry and his, and his person. And he, he says a third parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. And one went off, and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his service, servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He set his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So here's your next set of instructions. Go into the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding, that was, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But, uh, just hold on through all this here, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed the man who was there not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now, I just want to give you one detail here. Um, the guy that wasn't wearing wedding clothes, you see, whether they had, uh, could afford the wedding clothes or not, when people came in to a banquet like that, they were given clothes if they didn't have any. So everyone was given the attire so they could go and just celebrate and not have all eyes on them for sticking out or anything. And this guest, uh, what we're, we're gathering out of Jesus' response in the telling of the parable, it was out of sheer defiance that he was there, but he was going to make sure people knew that he was not there in compliance, you know? So, so um, that's kind of how that ends. It helps you understand a little bit more. Um, okay, so we get the banquet, the invitation, and then the outcome of it. Going backwards, the very first parable that Jesus tells in this series of three then is a parable about the two sons. Jesus tells the parable and it says, so a father sent his two sons into the field to go and work, and the first said, no, I won't do it. And then later actually decided, I'm going to do the work. You know, this is right. This is worthy. While the second son said, yes, sir, I certainly will. And then never did a single lick of work. Maybe had no intentions to. So Jesus, again, talking to the Pharisees, talking to these elders and priests, these are the people who had all the power and charge and, and prestige, and he says these words, this is in chapter 21 now, verse 31 and 32, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. 
Jesus lays that out there, and then he enters into um, the third of our parables. And these two are before the banquet, just so you understand that I understand the order that we're going in here. And so the, the, the parable of the tenants is, again, to the same audience. And he says, so the, the vineyard owner like builds it all up, and then he rents out his vineyard to some tenants. And he lets them, you know, he goes away and he lets them do the work and um, they get a good crop and a good harvest and, um, and, and things are really good, you know. So the owner sends some servants to collect the portion that is his for owning the land. You know, he's a landlord. And, um, and so anyhow, the tenants, Jesus says, uh, they don't want to part with any of the fruits or anything. They want it all for themselves, even though they didn't own it, they didn't build it, they didn't do anything to, to really make it be possible. They want it all. So uh, two servants were sent, and, um, and the way Jesus is telling this, like there's a lot of violence in here, and so they, they hurt them, they mistreat them, they kill them. Like, I don't know if that was necessary, um, but it, this is how Jesus is telling it. And so then the owner's like, okay, I'm going to send my son. Surely they'll respect my son. And the same thing happens to the third, to the son. And, and the tenants are like, oh, you know what? If we, if we kill his son, then we'll inherit all of this. It'll be ours. And, and anyhow, so then Jesus, again, he, so he tells a parable, and then he says to those he's teaching it to, and he says, so... What should the owner do, you know, once they do that to his son? And the, this is the Pharisees and the, the priests and the elders, and they're the ones who say, ah, well, that guy should, you know, be really, really harmed and, you know, and killed and all that good stuff, you know, retribution for what he did. And, um, and so whether Jesus is agreeing with that treatment or not, these are his words then in response to telling this parable. Verses 42 and 43 of chapter 21, Jesus then said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Have you not read that? Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Verse 43. Oh, that's, is that both of them? Yeah, all right. So I thought Jesus was a little more wordy there, but I guess that's just me. Um, so look what we get here. We get a parable first about Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven will belong to, one, those who really want it, two, those who want it not through lip service, but at the core of their hearts. They're desiring it deeply inside. And three, those who desire it not just for themselves, not just for this what's in it for me mentality, but they're desiring it for everyone. They're desiring to be a part of it, to experience it for the good of everyone. So the big lesson that Jesus is teaching, um, although there are plenty of other details that we could pull out in these, one of the things that you see consistent, and it's really helpful to actually compare Scripture to Scripture when you're trying to really understand the truth, so that way we don't just take one Scripture and kind of just decide that's what the meaning is, because it could. So what we're doing is we're looking at all these, and the big lesson here that we see is Jesus' attitude about the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus extends the kingdom not to those who rightfully deserve it, but to those who rightfully desire it, and not just for themselves. That, my friends, is a huge 
paradigm shift. That is turning everything on its head. And um, that's why those in charge said Jesus was worthy of death and why we say Jesus is worthy of praise today. So I want to just um, point here. So we're talking about um, deserve versus desire. And also there's a word in there that's I'm, I'm putting in there that's rightfully deserve versus rightfully desire. And that rightfulness is, is really important because it helps you understand what this deserving means. Because there's a sense that, especially in Jewish law and order, um, that, that there, was a, there, was, there were people who just like, like were of course like in like they came from the right families they came from the right lineage they had the right teaching there everything was right in their lives and so of course they would be going into the kingdom of heaven like they got it all figured out like you know their their attendance is good their performance is good they're following the rules and the laws like it's a no-brainer so that's this sense of rightfulness that of course they do Versus this rightful desire, which is talking about a, 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 right, a right desire in our hearts, the right uh, nature and the right attitude in our hearts, which is also important. And we'll see how Jesus defines this desire in just a little bit as we look through this. But, but essentially, it's desire versus deserving. So um, I can't um, stand up here and tell you that I think I'm probably um, going to get into the kingdom of heaven and maybe I'm a couple ahead of, of, ahead of a couple others or anything. I would never say that. But I can at least tell you how I have experienced the difference between these two, an experience I had in seminary. I worked at a computer help desk, and my job was mostly to um, tell people where the, where the bathrooms were because you had to go through the computer lab to get to them. Um, but one day I had um, a... Uh, a really friendly uh, gentleman who was Korean ethnicity, and he came up to me and he says, yeah, my computer um, ha- seems to have like a virus, and can you help me? And I'm like, no, probably not. So, you know, but I'm, I'm like tooling around in this computer, and uh, this man's like English is very uh, Korean influenced, and so I was having a hard time kind of understanding him. Um, his version of Windows actually had a lot of like the Korean symbols instead of English on there, so I'm like trying to like right click and like <laughs> like remember where troubleshooting is and properties and things like that and so like i mean it took a while and i think i actually did something to improve his computer maybe um but at the end of it he you know he says uh, and i can you know i was like really struggling to understand it but at the end of it he says um hey I, I'm, I'm a pastor at the Korean Emanuel United Methodist Church just down the, the street here, and um, we're looking for a new, a new youth pastor, and I'd like, I'd like you to do it. <laughs> like, you don't even know me. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't speak Korean. Um, I don't, I don't have like a, a tie or a touch with, um, with, with the Korean culture. And um, additionally, like, you've never even seen me preach. Like, all I did was try to fix your computer. And I kind of said something like that. You know, I was really unsure about, like, if he knew what he was actually extending to me. And, and he says, yeah, but you have, you have a desire. He's like, I can tell in you that you desire to help people and to give whatever you can. And, and, and we need that kind of bridge building in our community because we've got a lot of English-speaking uh, teens and young adults. And, and we need someone that can kind of, like, who has that desire to kind of fill that gap. 
And so for nearly two years of my seminary career, I became Jundal Sunim, which is essentially the youth pastor at the church. And man, I, I ate more good kimchi than you can dream of. Chapche, carby, like bagogi, you know, you name it. Like, like I got the best of it. It was a rich experience, but it wasn't because I, I had the right skills or anything. Like that what he saw was this desire that I didn't even realize was cooked up in my own heart. So look what, we're going to walk through what Jesus is getting at and how this works here. So first of all, Jesus has, he tells a story about the banquet. And we see this, this desire versus deserving in those who were supposed to come to the banquet. You see, all these people that were supposed to, rightfully deserving to be there, um, are, they, they all had something better to do. Business. Or, uh, or a wedding, like Luke tells the story a little bit more elaborated. Like, like they all had these things that they saw were more important and fulfilling and gratifying than the banquet that they were being invited to. Um, in fact, and this might seem a little bit petty, and it's like, well, you know, it's one Sunday. I don't know, I wanted to go watch the game. But like they were so insistent on having it that, their way that they reached a point of hostility. And I believe that's why Jesus used that language about the violence in his parable. That they were dead set on getting what they wanted for themselves rather than seeing the benefit, the value, the the beauty of this invitation. Where Jesus then juxtaposed those with those who were on the streets, whether they were good or bad, to come in because they knew that there was going to be nothing better, no greater invitation in their lives then an invitation to the king's banquet with the oxen and the fatted calf already. They knew that this was it. What an incredible experience. So then, so Jesus, again, he's talking about those who desire it. Those are the ones that the language even says actually deserve to be there. Then Jesus talks about the worthiness of of not just our wanting to be there, but the worthiness of our true desire. And he talks about the two sons. Now, ultimately, the response to which of the sons did the right thing, well, the first one like lied and rejected the invitation, and the second one acquiesced but didn't. So neither of them really, but ultimately, what Jesus wanted to point out was that we have reservations in our hearts. And we have, we have reasons and we have wrestlings and we want to do this or we want to do that or is this it. But ultimately, the second, he was just honoring his father through lip service. Even like the Greek even includes that, that formal address to say, yes, sir, I certainly will. Because it sounds good and that's what we're supposed to say. But Jesus is saying, but the second one, he wrestled with it. He didn't want to at first. But in his heart, he knew it was right and it was good. To serve his father? So Jesus is getting at it then again, and he says, the prostitutes and the task collectors, they're the ones, like, like they wrestled with their professions, but ultimately they saw this invitation, and they desired it in the center, the core of their hearts. Third parable. Not only do we want it, but we desire it at the core, and we also desire it for more than just ourselves. You see, the tenants, I mean, they got the first two, right? They really wanted, they really wanted the vineyard and they wanted all the fruit. And it was at the core of their bones so much so that they would kill people who tried to interrupt it. But the problem that Jesus kind of points out still is that they were unwilling to let the fruit of the kingdom 
be for everyone, be for more than just themselves. And, um, and so again, does this, this deep desire and a desire beyond selfish intentions. And, uh, and so that's really what Jesus is pointing at in all of this that sets us into motion to consider our own desire versus our own kind of assumption of deserving it. And, and there really, um, th- there comes the question that draws the line between like, what are we doing because, uh, because perhaps that's just what we do or we feel obligated to or because that's kind of the culture that's been set for us. And what are we doing opposed to that because we're understanding it and we're, we're thirsting, we're craving it. So I want to invite you, um, as I am inviting myself, to just wrestle with some questions here. Now, the first question here is really just um, about, about what, it, what it means for us to, um, to understand like, why we're here and what this means to us. So really, do I truly desire the gospel, or do I come by the gospel by obligation? Like, I feel like I got to go through convenience. Um, you know, like, it, it takes care of my kids for an hour, um, or routine, you know, I kind of just do it. Or do we come by the kingdom of God by a desire? And like the, the guests invited to the banquet realizing, hey, this is the best thing that's ever happened to my life. And two, Why? Why do we desire the kingdom? Why do I desire the kingdom? Is it for my own benefit or the benefit of, of God's creation of humanity? You know, as a pastor, I truly believe that, that we're working for the kingdom here at Horizons because when we get it right, it doesn't just bless us, but it's like a great big drop in the Lincoln, Nebraska ocean that then ripples out and affects other things. And we can't always trace that ripple like your eyes might try to trace a ripple as you drop a fresh bobber into a serene, placid lake. Like our eyes can't always trace the good that's happening. But that's, that's my trust. That's my core belief around why this is so good and why Jesus' presence truly is impactful in our communities. Why do, why do we desire these things? So this is about um, now me encouraging you to live in that upside-down paradigm shift that Jesus made worthy and to let your desire always truly uh, reign in your lives and to share along those, desire, along those lines of why this is important to you. Let's pray. Gracious Holy God, you are good, and we pray that um, through your teaching, through your word, that we will continue to, uh, to, see, to see ourselves into your teaching and to find clarity in it, to find both conviction and encouragement, Lord. There are days when we know we are not worthy of even standing at the gates of your kingdom, and you say, that if you are desiring, regardless, get in here. And there are days where we assume that everything has been prepared for us alone and that we we need to be reminded that it is not based on, on any of those qualifiers, but truly the desire of our hearts. Lord, we desire to see you working in this community. Lord, I desire to see you working in the midst of brokenness of those who are worshiping at Horizons and in this community, Lord, that you will meet us 
where we are falling apart and that you will walk with us toward a better future, that you will restore hope, Lord, and that you'll continue to, to fill us with that desire and that excitement, that joy for what your kingdom can do the more it is built here on earth. Lord, this is yours. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.